You're listening to The Real King with Joe and Heidi King. Today we have a mega episode. Get a snack and settle in while we listen to the story of God's wonder-working power in Heidi's heart and our marriage. So, we have heard quite a bit of testimonies from my life, um, and tonight we get the opportunity to hear from my helpmate, my lovely bride, Heidi Marie, mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully um, there's some young women out there that can really use this. Or, or older. Yeah, or older, yeah. It's just I I know that a lot of your testimony comes from, you know, our pre-marriage to like dating to courting, whatever you want to call it. Correct. So, and then, you know, going into our experience in the first years, I'm sure. Yeah. So, take us back then. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, So with my testimony, I need to lay a little bit of a foundation and kind of rewind um, some years in order for you to actually be able to see like what unfolded uh, to actually see why it's such a testimony. Um, So I have to put a disclaimer out there (laughs) that uh, the testimony, my testimony, it's, um, it's difficult because... I am now living with the new Joe, and this was the old Joe. And so I I don't want anything that's spoken in my testimony <laughs> to make anybody ever think like, man, what a what a guy. Because that was old Joe. That's not that's mm-hmm. not new and redeemed Joe. The Joe that all of you know now and the Joe that you listen to on these podcasts every week, that is that is what God turned him into. Two different people. Yes. The, the guy the you're power describing of, is dead. Yes. The, the power yeah. of water baptism mm-hmm. and uh, being born again. Like, born again mm-hmm. means you are, God makes all things new. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Right. He created in me a new heart. Yeah. Uh, New mind. And in Heidi, too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah. But I just I just wanted to put that out there because yeah. a lot of the times when you when you when I tell my side, um, I think just natural fleshly feelings come out of like, oh, I feel so bad for her or or stuff like that. And that's mm-hmm. not the case. Like he. Yeah, he was a harsh man. You have to feel bad for the ones who don't have Christ that go through that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You have to feel bad for the ones who don't stick with it. Um, I know people that have been married to a significant other that probably wasn't near uh, as critical as I was, and they just quit when mm-hmm. there's so much room for God to work there. Um, but... You know, with our situation, it's very specific to right. us. And she she married somebody coming in with a lot of uh, baggage that was, you know, buried for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we put our best face on when we when we come into a relationship. You know, nobody mm-hmm. knows that you 
um, have the functions of a human being. You don't use the bathroom in front of each other. You don't eat like a like a glutton. You don't pass mm-hmm. gas. You don't uh, you don't even like to sneeze in front of each other. Yeah. So Heidi, why don't you take us back? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I was 15 years old and my parents started to go to this new church. So that would put us back in 1999, which feels like an eternity from at this moment right now. Mm -hmm. But 1999 is when Joe and I met. Um, I was your typical teenager. So I was all about looking cute and being cool and trying to fit in. And little did I know that God was creating a path that I would have never dreamt by my parents moving me to that church in 1999. I was about to meet my soulmate, and I didn't even know it. When I first started attending, I never thought it would turn out this way. My parents started to get close with the pastors of that church, and I started to hang out with their daughter, which is actually Christina, who does this podcast with us. Mm -hmm. Um, Me and her just ended up clicking. Which is funny because we are complete opposites. Yes. So I am quiet, was. (laughs) Whenever I tell people I'm quiet now, they're like, no, you're not. Um, But I was quiet, shy. I was a homebody. I went to bed early. And Christina was loud and outgoing and Mm -hmm. always on the run. And she stayed up all night. (laughs) Still does. (laughs) Well, in some ways, we've kind of flip-flopped our roles yeah yeah but yeah yes but they say opposites attract Mm -hmm. right so we ended up best friends so she has this brother named joe uh who was the drummer at their church so each sunday we saw each other but nothing really happened um little did i know that he actually has told me that he knew from the very moment that he saw me that he was going to marry me one day The problem with me is I wasn't on the same page. (laughs) Right. I wasn't a fan of him uh, at that time when I first met him. He was very cocky, and it seemed just very insincere. It just wasn't like a a thing that was drawing me to him. But he persisted. And he actually pursued me for four years. So between the time that I met Joe in 99 and then the very first date was four years later. So that put us at 2003. Mm-hmm. That's a big time span. In that time, and you may get into this a bit, but yeah. you and I, I mean, we went to youth group together. We mm-hmm. went to youth conferences together. We we had a lot that we did in that time. Yeah. And I fell far away. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, 2003, we go on our first date, and it was an absolute <laughs> nightmare. Absolute nightmare. You were late. Okay, so I'm going to be very, very truthful about this. I can't remember why I was late. You were always late for everything. Because you didn't want to go. <laughs> no. <laughs> she had somebody call her in the middle well, of the Well, hold movie. on. You're going to take that part. No, oh, it's all hold right. Hold on. But you were chronically late at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And I was kind of snotty to him. But so I ended up very late on our first date. And he brought along a gentleman that was fresh out of jail. So, I mean, you didn't do your part either. Let's just be fully honest right now. (laughs) What did you guys do while I was late? We went to a bar. Right. Okay. So by the time I showed up to the date, he was already half in the bag. And the whole thing was just 
awful. We went to a movie. I answered my phone in the middle of the movie to another guy. So in the middle of the date, mm-hmm. <laughs> I answered the phone to another guy. So it's a miracle that we even went on a second date. And honestly, I don't even remember why we would have went on a second date. Because I'm pretty sure we both left that Because date. when we finished that date, we spent about two hours talking in your car. How come I don't remember that part? Honestly. You really don't remember that? No. Oh. Man. But we did go on a second date, and then that turned into a third and a fourth and so on. And I ended up falling head over heels for this guy. I fell for him so hard that I knew in my gut that he was home. So not many people explain that in that way. Mm -hmm. But for me, the moment that I knew that Joe was the guy that I was going to spend the rest of my life with is because in the pit of my stomach, it felt like I just got home. Mm-hmm. So you know when you go on a long trip, yeah, and then you come back home from a long trip, and then you take a seat on your couch, and you just kind of breathe, and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm in my home, I'm comfortable, I'm cozy, I'm safe. You crawl into bed that first night after getting home. Yeah, and you're like, like I'm back it. where I'm yeah. supposed to be. That yeah. feeling that you have that you're just home, mm-hmm. it's how I felt with him once I figured out I was going to marry him. Yeah. It's very interesting. Your home was more like an RV then. <laughs> I was pretty much a, a travel trailer at that point. Like Cousin Eddie's RV. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. So we dated for a year. So in 2003 was the year that we spent dating. We were engaged by 2004 and then married by the time I was 21 in 2005. Mm-hmm. So once we started like seriously dating it. it. I mean, it went pretty quickly. Right. Once once I laid down the law that <laughs> I'm not going to date you anymore because you haven't told anybody you're dating me. You were hiding it. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. And then you kind of let the cat out of the bag. I mean, Heidi hadn't really had any serious relationships no. up until that point. So you were really her first... Mm-hmm. serious relationship one and only serious relationship yeah ever yeah so i'm actually four years younger than joe so he was able to legally drink mm-hmm. and i was not so i knew that he drank but with this society it's taught us to look at that so nonchalantly well our culture in wisconsin it's like the normal Mm-hmm. So Joe and I were these young adults that were ready to take the world by storm and just live life to its fullest. We wanted to have fun. We wanted to have a few drinks. We wanted to smoke cigarettes. We wanted to listen to ungodly music and watch ungodly movies and go to the beach mm-hmm. and go out for Mexican food. Yeah. We thought that we were living our best lives. What little did we know. <laughs> so most women can actually relate with me here. I was all for the good times and having fun, but when we got married, it was time to cool it on the partying. Mm-hmm. So it was now time to not. In your, in your mind, it was time to cool it. Correct. Um, that that's a that's a big issue in society where where people think all of a sudden once once like the the marriage certificate is signed and the rings are on fingers that everything's going to change. Correct. And and if you married somebody that um, has no 
they don't have any expectation along with you. Like, if you don't discuss that thoroughly mm-hmm. and get to know each other before that, you're. it's not like you've turned the lights on on that Monday and everything's different. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I I know that you guys did premarital counseling. Mm-hmm. The premarital counts. The premarital counseling that Carlos and I went through was very good, and yeah. it was very <clears throat> thorough, and it addressed a lot of those things. So if we're if there's unmarried people that are, you guys went through with Pastor Larrabee, right? Yes, he's like he's right. a rock, right? And like both him, him and Jen, like they met with us multiple times, and we went through a lot of topics before he married us right and so that's something that is typical what you find is like what Heidi is describing is that you have in a in a situation where you're dealing with an addict and you don't know yet Mm -hmm. you have one person that is like you're honestly thinking like we're just having some fun here Mm -hmm. where for the other person it's laying groundwork for the future addiction oh i thought you were talking about her no for for the woman in this case i feel like it's not all one-sided where it's you know always it's it's not always the man women especially in mommy wine culture are finding themselves going down a path of alcoholism and addiction just as much because Mm -hmm. there's this they're convincing themselves that they can that they deserve it they're treating themselves with a glass of wine but what you're finding is that like one person thinks we're just having a good time here and we're gonna settle down like we met in a bar we're gonna settle down as soon as you know as soon as we get married as soon as we have a baby Mm -hmm. and the other person is on a completely different page Mm -hmm. yeah they think they're doing good yeah like hey we're, we're having fun yeah yeah and they have no intention of backing off Right. They like where they're at. Yeah. So in my mind, like it was that time. Yeah. It was that time to not drink anymore. It was that time to start saving money to get ready Mm -hmm. to buy a house, to have the white picket fence and the golden retriever and have some babies. Right. Like that's where, as a woman, my brain immediately went to. Mm -hmm. And that's honestly most girls dream. Like, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. But oh, how Satan just destroys that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely destroys that. The majority of women never get that life. So once we were engaged in 2004, I actually did ask him to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I was greasing the wheels a little bit. What was that met with? Was he receptive to what you were saying? Oh, he was telling me what I wanted to hear. Mm. But then I would find him. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, the, but here's the thing, though. I told him to stop drinking, but if we wanted to go out like on a Friday night, like that was okay. Right. That whole all or nothing thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't, even though, like, I knew that he wasn't stop, he wasn't stopping, I still didn't want to give up, right? I was convinced that I could change him. Right. And Most that's another huge are. issue. Hey, mm-hmm. can I give you a quick heads up? You can't change him. Ever. Like, it's never going to happen. God can, but you cannot. Mm-hmm. So I basically just kind of, I'm pretty passive aggressive anyway. So, I mean, I just kind of hung in there. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right. Yeah, there, there was things you did, though, that most women won't do. Uh, most women will focus on their spirituality uh, or hobbies or friends group 
and part ways, you know, like I'm leaving for the night. There was a lot of times where you kind of forced me to go to like a church service or something like that. Mm-hmm. I see it all the time where where women attend alone and they just don't they don't feel it's worth the fight to mm-hmm. to you know demand that you attend tonight with me or you attend Sunday morning with me. Yeah. Well, a lot a lot are like lukewarm themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Like they want to go out maybe and have a good time on Friday, but like they're st- they're also like it sounds to me like this is kind of where you were at Heidi like you're trying to in the back of your mind you're like I need to get myself right with the Lord too and so I'm going to go to church and I'm going to commit to doing that and I'm maybe going to be a little bit like maybe still going to go out for 99 cent margaritas but I'm going to get my life back in order here like they occasionally imbibe that sort of thing yeah when for her it was like it wasn't a thing with the drinking cuz she she would get violently ill mm-hmm. you know so like with that it for her to not drink was was not an issue yeah so we actually did do premarital premarital counseling but it was a family friend it was a family friend and it was a family friend of my family Mm -hmm. so joe kind of already had this preconceived idea that the pastor was on my side you knew that there was going to be an issue before we even started because the drinking was kind of like the elephant in the room Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he was on your side he only talked about that with you Mm -hmm. so the drinking obviously came up honestly i went into premarital counseling where i was I convinced myself that I wasn't going to bring that up because I just don't want to deal with that. Any good counselor is going to see the red flags, though. Well, he said something, and it made me tell it, and then Mm -hmm. I just melted down, and then I just gushed tears everywhere. Um, And honestly, to this day, I'm still kind of surprised that that wedding even happened because by the end of that marital (laughs) counseling, I was upset. Joe was outraged. The pastor Mm -hmm. was upset. Like, everyone left upset and the pastor actually pulled me aside and said i honestly do not suggest that you marry him Mm -hmm. i I would not advise it and i was thinking are you kidding me right now like the wedding invitations (laughs) have already been sent out like this train has left the station Mm -hmm. like we're not going back now my dad already paid the caterer (laughs) yeah (laughs) so we proceeded Mm -hmm. forward honestly Mm -hmm. and he still married us that was a night at the roxbury quote Mm. I didn't pick it up. No, me either. I literally thought, oh, okay. Um, The drinking was irritating, but it wasn't absolutely the worst thing in the world. Because in my brain, I thought two things are going to happen. Either I'm going to change him, or I'm just going to be able to learn to live with it. So Mm -hmm. I was already, like, preconditioning myself to, like, figure out what to do Mm -hmm. if the drinking didn't go away. Right. Which is also crazy to think about when you're only 21 years old and you're about to like embark on like wedded bliss. Mm -hmm. And like these are the things that are going through your mind. Mm -hmm. What a load of garbage. Well, it's it's easier to stay in what you know than to face the unknown. Yeah. Start from scratch. His uh, group of friends were just a rowdy bunch of drinkers, just like he was. And I couldn't even imagine what was going to take place on that bachelor party. Mm-hmm. It was stressing me out so badly. I pleaded with him not to have one, but he went anyway. 
And I still don't know what happened fully to this day, but all I know is that the stripper that they had at the bachelor party is the one who drove him home. Just a little disclaimer there, though, is my constitution for for um, monogamy, like even when I was a crazy drunk, was totally... So all my friends got so smashed and inebriated that I had to pay that woman to drive me home because I knew if I did not make it home before daylight, we would not get married. And that's the only reason she gave me a ride home. This is what's crazy. And when I look back on this Mm -hmm. testimony is what I didn't know what was happening behind the scenes spiritually was the devil was already planting all of these seeds of dissension before we even said I do. I couldn't even trust the man that I was about to marry mm-hmm. prior to the marriage. For the devil, this was like the perfect setup mm-hmm. for absolute failure. Yeah. And we, didn't, we had no clue. So December 10th, 2005 rolls around and our wedding day is here. Every girl's dream is your wedding day. The sun is shining. The birds are chirping. Your white dress, the bridesmaid dresses, the flowers. We planned the most beautiful wedding. Mm -hmm. Well, I. I planned the most beautiful wedding. He really wasn't a part of it. We were married in this beautiful church. My husband's family was, you guys are very musical. Mm -hmm. So there was the best music you could think of. Yeah, mom and dad owned a music store. And there were live musicians. They they had like the top of the class from the local university in the music program. Uh, Not to brag, but I picked all the songs. And coordinated. (laughs) I called in favors from professional musicians to play live. I can't believe. Yeah. A family friend Mm -hmm. filmed it and lost the tape. Yeah, yeah. There's been people over the years that have been like, I'd love to see the music from your wedding again. It was very good, good, yeah. It was honestly a one-of-a-kind wedding. Yeah. Everyone that we talked to was like, that was literally the best, most beautiful wedding I've ever been to in my entire life. And I gave a premature I do. <laughs> you did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> even my wedding dress was ex- exclusive. Like, no mm-hmm. one even had that wedding dress. Right. Maybe when that minister paused that long, maybe he was like, thinking about running out the back of the stage before he finished it because he didn't want to be accountable to God for putting his blessing on this unity. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, though, is that it was all of this picture that I just created Mm -hmm. of of the most perfect wedding day ever, but no one knew any of the backstory or the skeletons that were in the closet. Right. Like, everyone was just putting on a face, right? Mm -hmm. To the eye, it was the most perfect wedding that every, anybody's ever been to. And honestly, that just shows me how that's a perfect example of how hiding the darkness mm-hmm. and never exposing it only leads to bad paths. The day is going to be perfect, and then all of a sudden, I'm getting ready like 15 minutes out from walking down the aisle, and we get a knock on the door of our little girl's wedding area. The suite, yeah. And they say, Joe's not here. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Like, the groom is a no-show? I went probably bridezilla for a moment. You were pretty composed. But then I, like, so I'm internal. Mm -hmm. So internally, I went through every one of, like, the five, like, I had a stage five meltdown. Mm -hmm. Like, absolutely. I was 
freaking out. I was like, is this little punk <laughs> going to stand me up on my wedding day? Even after it took four years to even get a date with me. Like I, my brain just mm-hmm. started going. Or even after I'm still marrying him after he won't stop drinking and this guy is going to try to stand me up on my wedding day. Mm -hmm. It went from like tears to anger, Mm -hmm. like back to tears. It's okay. We're here now. Yep. So, I mean, the women in that room were amazing. They all calmed me down. And he honestly, he showed up. (laughs) He did. He showed up. He was 30 minutes late. Uh, to the wedding and smelled like booze, <clears throat> but he showed up. From what I and this part is still kind of bugged me too is from what I heard from outside people is when he walked into the church, he was like cool, calm, and collected. I had no idea. I was late. <laughs> like, hey guys, <laughs> I literally had no idea. <laughs> like, I was with a car full of people and your nephew. Yeah, that literally all told me the wedding started at whatever. So all of this went down. But the show must go on, right? Mm-hmm. So we all put on a good face. Want to hear something funny? Is that parking lot was full of like my friends and groomsmen doing drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. all day that day. Mm-hmm. And now when I visit that house, I've evangelized in that parking lot. Mm-hmm. I've uh, shared. That church, Depth. right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that yeah. house, yeah, that church. So, like, I got delivered going to that church mm-hmm. from alcoholism. So, God, you know, when it says God works all things together for the good, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like even the bad ones, like He took a, a place that was desecrated by me and turned it into a place that I have great respect for, mm-hmm. and that I I walk. I don't walk lightly or, you know, lightly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We uh, proceeded on with the wedding. It was it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Everything was perfect. Joe did the premature I do, which I probably smiled a little bit in my head over that. It just I mean, it was great. It was a wonderful wedding. Here's the thing, though. All that beautiful wedding that we were experiencing was all just to the natural eye. Mm -hmm. It was all a lie. Honestly, our love wasn't a lie. But all of those things that I was accepting were unacceptable. A groom should not be late to his own wedding. A groom should not be tipsy at his own wedding. A bride should not think she's being stood up on her wedding day. Mm-hmm. All of these things were demonic. Mm-hmm. I didn't even understand it. A marriage is something that is beautiful. And it's sacred. The bride, oh God, <clears throat> come on, Lord, help me. A bride and a groom should long for the day that they get to announce their love publicly. And unfortunately, that wasn't my experience. But God is a good God, and he worked it all out in the end. We were married. We had a beautiful reception and a wonderful dance. So we go on this short little honeymoon, and we head home. And now the wedding is over. Now what? So I'm sure there's also many women that can relate to me here that once that wedding day is over, that reality sets in. Well, you're not planning constantly anymore for Mm -hmm. something big either. Yeah. The post-wedding blues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I now have to build a life with this man. What kind of life am I going to build? 
And why didn't I discuss this prior to the wedding day? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like all of these questions were like running through my mind. Unrealistic expectations started to set in. Can I ask a question? Yeah. When, When you were at that point, so like you, people had sown the seed like this is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. So every, to me, it, it would be hard to not have that surface every time you had a disagreement, every time you saw him drinking again, yeah. after like any fight that you have. Was that the case for you? Like you're Holy like, long. I should have, I shouldn't have done this. I knew. That's, that's how I found out the guy who did the premarital counseling said what he said. Yeah, he I never, never said it in front of me. I didn't tell him but until after we were married. Argument. That was probably like, one of my little. I should have listened to him. My little stones I would throw when mm. we get into fights. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt it at all. Brides get so obsessed with the wedding that we forget that if we didn't love the things that this man was doing before the wedding day, that it's not going to go away after the wedding day. Right. You get into like this almost trance kind of. Yeah, my mom always said, whatever you have before you get married, you have 100 times after. Yeah. Yeah, and that, I think that's true. Absolutely. Yeah. So with Joe, his drinking continued. Mm-hmm. It didn't stop. If anything, it got worse. We would get into these horrible, violent fights. And when I say violent, they were violent. So mm-hmm. he never hit me, ever, mm-hmm. which is amazing because a lot of the times that's the case. He never physically laid a hand on me. Actually, I was the fighter. I was the one that was constantly laying hands on him. No one, ever, no one would ever think that of me, honestly. Right. But it wasn't pretty. Joe was good at destroying the material things around the house. So we would have many broken things, including like our wedding sand. <laughs> when you put the sand together yes. and you're like showing the that you never can sand. be separated. <laughs> Which is funny because now people start using two different colors. Yeah, we did. We did. We used yeah, white and black. black. Which is hilarious because you really could. <sighs> Wasn't that prophetic? You really could separate it then. That's if true. You, if you wanted to take the That's time true. to do it. The whole point of doing sand is because you can't, if you use real sand, it's because you can't decipher yeah. one grain of sand from the other. But yeah. it's, it's kind of funny that people use two colors now. That is funny. So stuff like that would get broken. The wedding sand went quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that wasn't long after we got married where that got busted. Wedding photos were busted. We were living in hell, honestly. Mm-hmm. I would on occasion get so upset with his drinking that when we would go out on a Friday night, I would purposefully try to get intoxicated faster than him Mm. so that he would stop. And that never worked. No. Uh, I'm pretty positive I was allergic to alcohol Mm -hmm. because I could never drink without getting violently sick. Yeah. Every every single time. Every single time. It was never a fun experience for me. And also that didn't even stop him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) at all he would just continue to drink as usual I wasn't raised around big drinkers so I really had no idea what I was up against Mm -hmm. I was very ill-equipped if you haven't figured it out already Joe was a raging alcoholic he drank every single day but he was good at drinking I honestly didn't even know when he was drunk half of the time and I was married to him We've encountered that with other people, too, because we've, you know, other people in our family have dealt with substance abuse and alcoholism and people that they were with have said, oh, no, 
they're just, they're able to control it right now. It's just, we're just, you know, it's like a social beer here and there. And yeah. I'm like, here's the deal. You have no idea. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they're drinking in the morning. They're drinking at night. They, they're drink. You have no idea when they're drinking. Yeah. And that's really the issue. Right. It's like, yeah, it's, there's a lot that's happening that's hidden. Yeah. And what Joe, I guess, could be considered air quotes. Mm-hmm would be like that functioning alcoholic. Yeah. Highly, highly functioning. Because yeah. yeah. I worked a lot. They still held a job. You know, mm-hmm. they were still mm-hmm. able to do lots of things. You, like, you really wouldn't be able to tell anything was wrong. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. So a few years go by, and by this time, we were... A few years went by, and this was my life. Mm-hmm. Like, I was basically getting used to the idea that this was just going to be my life. When I was a teenager, I was told that I had endometriosis, and so I wouldn't ever be able to have children. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to believe that all of those years, but once I started to see how my life was turning out, I kind of thought, like, maybe this is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe this is for the best. We were a young married couple. We both worked, and on the weekends, he would drag me to bars. So I would put on a fake smile on my face, but in reality, I hated my life. Mm-hmm. And this is the gross part, too, that I think about now, is that Joe and I met at church. Right. I Like, I was living this life, and I met this man at church. Mm-hmm. His parents were pastors. Mm-hmm. Grandparents, too. His grandparents were pastors. I never told my family that Joe was an alcoholic. Did they ever question it? Not to me. No. Maybe to themselves or amongst themselves. But mm-hmm. I never phys- like actually told anybody that he was an alcoholic. So I couldn't really go around him very often because I didn't want them to find out. And we didn't really go around Joe's family very often because like, they, they knew the situation, right? Yeah, we were aware. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it was just kind of this – we just – I mean, we didn't well, really go around each other. In order to be around our family, you'd have to, like, abstain. Yeah. And I think that that is probably the main thing that kind of drives the wedge. And that happened with my other brother as well. Yeah. You just kind of go away. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. my parents will call it out real quick. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I was living with these skeletons in my closet, and I was having to bear it all by myself. Mm-hmm. I was on a fast track to becoming a bitter angry and hateful person and i mean i was there and i was there for a lot of it yeah but it wasn't even like really clear to me what all was going on behind the scenes you know yeah Mm -hmm. um there's actually times where i began to hate him so much that i actually thought of like doing very evil things to him Mm -hmm. like my world was getting darker as each day passed. Mm-hmm. So we're, I mean, we're living this life. We get to 2007 and I was feeling weird, like physically. Mm-hmm. And I was like, something's not right here. Um, because I was told that I had endometriosis, like I was convinced that I was never going to be able to have children, but I couldn't shake the thought mm. that you're pregnant. And I was like, come on, like that can't be. So it was actually a Friday night when we found out because we were about to go out drinking. And sure enough, 
I took it and it was positive. As with any married woman, I was stoked about this. Mm-hmm. Like once I saw that positive, I freaked out. I called my parents. I called other family members. Mm-hmm. I called friends. And I was so happy for about an hour. Mm-hmm. And then that soul-crushing reality started to cave in on me that this was bad. Like this mm-hmm. was really, really, really bad. I can't bring an innocent child into the environment that I'm currently living in. Mm -hmm. A glimmer of hope all of a sudden hit me, and I thought, well, wait, what if this will change, Joe? Mm -hmm. We're always trying to grab onto something, right? Mm -hmm. So honestly, that is the hope that I held on to the entire pregnancy, was Mm -hmm. this baby is going to be what changes Joe and makes him stop being an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. During those few years of marriage, we did have good times. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't want to make people think that it was just constant, constant horribleness. He was just a different person when he was intoxicated. Mm -hmm. And now that I know spiritual things, I can now see that that makes complete sense. It wasn't Joe during those intoxicated times. It was a spirit. Mm -hmm. A demonic spirit, which they are real. Mm-hmm. And they are still active today. Right. This isn't some kind of Old Testament of the Bible that people are like, oh, no, they're mm-hmm. real and they're still here today. I just didn't realize that I was living with a spirit 90% of mm-hmm. the time. That was the crazy part. People are under a big, big misconception that alcohol is just alcohol. Right. And that drugs are just drugs. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Those things have demonic spirits that are let in when we consume them. Well, I mean, some alcohol, like some um, liquor stores are called like house of spirits. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. They're literally called spirits. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. (laughs) Like wake up. They're not bashful about it. Right. Demonic spirits like that, they woo you. Mm -hmm. They entice you. They let you think that this will be the best time of your life. But you are literally messing with a demon. They also make you feel like, but what, how could I possibly live without it? Yeah. Even if you're not an alcoholic and you just like occasionally drink for fun. Yeah. But how can I still be social? How can I still make friends? What am I going to tell people if I don't drink? You know, that's how you stay. Like, if you were talking about a relationship with a person, people would be like, hello, you're in a toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. And yeah. people like they don't understand that you can still have a full life without it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or any anything, drugs, alcohol, any of any of those things. Right. This stuff is very real and people need to understand that these things are not as innocent as we think. Mm-hmm. Doors get opened when you invite these things in. So with that, I continued through the pregnancy. So nine months, you know, went in. Nothing changed with Joe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my newfound hope was there where this was going to be Joe's ticket to sobriety. So little Max Miss Joseph was born. Uh, we get to the hospital and he somehow got alcohol. <laughs> oh, I had to go home and let the dogs out. You had to go home and let the dogs out. Yeah. Yeah. 
So when he came, oh, because you had to go home and let the dogs out because my pregnancy went for like really long. Yeah. Or my delivery went yeah. for a really long and time. Your mom and my mom were in the the room. Mm-hmm. delivery room yeah and then your dad and my dad were out in the waiting room yeah so <laughs> yes. exciting to be in both conversations yeah once i figured out that joe was under the influence i i don't know i don't i, I mean you're in labor with a baby about to you know my mom drop praying in the spirit yeah mm-hmm. so i wasn't really he joe kept calling me buddy champ champ just like crazy stuff, and not in a nice way. He was being he was being cocky when he was saying it. I think I think you misinterpret that. I was I was scared to death to have a human life in my hands. Yeah. With me, after what I went through, I didn't ever plan on having kids and bringing them into a world where mm-hmm. you can't trust people. Yeah. So it's like it wasn't that I was I was probably. Um, manifesting that way because internally I was I was really afraid of what was to happen like your life for real changes at that point can I be honest as well not to say that that wasn't a really bad experience but a the labor and delivery experience that environment can be very um people can be very condescending and patronizing to the man Mm. And like, you really don't have a place here. You don't understand what's happening. Mm. And they're talked down to a lot in that environment. And so I don't think that people acknowledge that much. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm saying that I don't have kids, but just I know of experiences that people have had. So men act weird. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes when they're under pressure and there's probably nothing that they can say in that moment that would be right. But that was calling someone champ was probably not the best yeah well and then if i if i smelled booze on him i'm sure she did which yeah. probably also made her like like hyper aware right of things that were going on mm-hmm. um i honestly thought during labor and delivery that i was gonna die mm-hmm. yeah it was really bad for i was you. convinced like i was convinced that i was gonna die in the delivery room which and is actually why the moms ended up coming Right. Because, and you've talked about this in other episodes, you've dealt with different types Mm -hmm. of anxiety, one being health-related anxiety. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, (laughs) that's kind of a, like a very traumatic experience, no Mm -hmm. matter what, on your body and your, as a person. Yeah. And so, and and scary, scary for a lot of people. Because I was convinced I was going to die, I did have enough church in me to know that I needed a spirit-filled prayer warrior mm-hmm. in that delivery room with me. So Joe's mom and my mom were in there praying the entire time. Mm-hmm. Mom was like straight up speaking in tongues. She was. Like loudly. <laughs> she was. She was prayed in the she Holy no Spirit. Shame. No. Yeah. And then <laughs> She's like, like birth, birth coach of the year. That it one. seemed to make the doctor more comfortable. Which is awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he seemed pretty much at peace. Yeah. Yeah. He was actually pretty good. He made me cut the umbilical cord, even though I said I didn't want to. He's like, "You're not going to miss out on this life." Sometimes, event. sometimes people know better than you do in that moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Max also wouldn't come out. Yeah. And so they were having me do all of these crazy, 
um, yoga positions, positions. Yeah, like downward. Dog. Yeah, to try to to try to get him to you know move forward. Mm-hmm. And you went into back labor. Which yes, for people that have had babies, they probably cringe at the the. Yeah. Well, she wouldn't take an epidural that. either until the very last chance. Yeah. Yeah. Like the all the nurses were like, "Stop trying to be a hero and just take it." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in that process, I actually ended up breaking my tailbone. Yeah. During delivery, from all those weird positions I was going in, uh, Joe almost got escorted out of the room by that lead nurse. <laughs> Like, it was just a mess. Mm -hmm. This is now, for me, engagement, marriage, and birth that was being destroyed in my life because of alcohol. Mm -hmm. The things that are gifts from God and should be the highlights of your life were being destroyed for me every single time. Mm -hmm. I'm probably going to make people mad right now, but alcohol, it's not okay. Period. There are zero exceptions. Wine is not okay. Mm-hmm. Beer is not okay. Preach. Hard alcohol is not okay. Yep. Social drinking is not okay. Not okay. And don't tell me that you can handle your alcohol Mm-mm. because that's garbage. We we were just in a hotel that we stayed at on my birthday, but we were there last year for my birthday, and we were we were getting ready to leave. And dad, dad said, what hotel are you going to? And I told him, he goes, oh, that's the one where you saved that kid last year. And all of a sudden it dawned on me because we almost didn't go last year. Mm-hmm. And, and we were going to cancel the trip. And then we said, no, forget about it because we just financially didn't want to do it. Well, we got there and then we weren't going into the pool because there was all these people doing their family Christmas because this place is known to have like poolside rooms. Mm-hmm. And they have a big swimming pool. So we're watching all these people from, like, the window of our room because our window looked out over the pool. And it's like, oh, when are we going to be able to get in there without all these, like, boozy people? Well, it kind of slowed down later in the evening, like eight thirty, nine 9 o'clock at night. So we finally take our children down there because the atmosphere is a little less rowdy. And we swam in the pool for a little while, and then we went to jump in the hot tub because finally people got out of the hot tub. And... This family, they had gotten, like, uh, takeout, and they had a poolside room. So they're mm-hmm. setting their children down and getting the plates ready. And you could tell that the mother and dad, their young parents, they're intoxicated enough to, like, be very spacey, mm-hmm. you know, with what they were doing. Their cheeks were real red. Right. And all Blinking of a sudden I'm slower. like, I'm mm-hmm. like, hey, 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 get them, get them, get them, get them, get them. And Heidi's looking at me like, What? And all of a sudden, this two-year-old jumps between her and Max into the hot tub, goes completely under. Yeah. I had to jump across this big hot tub, dive down, get him, pull him up, and like make sure that he didn't drown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I'm yelling at the mother, like, I have your child, I have your child. And she like looks at me twice before she realizes I'm this stranger's holding her baby in the hot tub. Yeah. And then she walks over. And I was like, your child just jumped in and went completely under. At this point, he realized mom's there and starts bawling. I'm like, your child was all the way under the water. And she goes, I'm so sorry about that. Grabs the kid and walks away. Ugh. Yeah. And like, we we just went back. Same hotel. Um, ended up dealing with similar things. Yeah. But only this time. I. But if we had canceled that trip, God wouldn't have put us there to catch that baby. 
Right. Well, here's the thing. I want to say this. If you're still listening, because I'm sure. I'm sure I probably lost. I'm sure we've right lost there. a few people, but I'm going to tell you right now. We have seen too many people die, become gravely ill, their lives destroyed, their lives completely ruined for us to sit and continue to just be cool with people continuing to socially drink. We're telling you right now, it's not okay. Yeah, it's not okay. And if if you're like, no, 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 this is only a sore spot for Joe and Heidi because Joe was delivered from this exact thing. Yeah, you're already lying to yourself. Yeah, yeah. if you if you if you think that well, is I a have lie from the control, pit. Yeah, um, fast it for forty days. See how you feel. Come That's, on. Okay. Here's the thing. So many people have said to me, I can that, but it, it doesn't have a stronghold on me. I can quit anytime I yeah. want then do it. Yeah. yeah the- How is it enriching your life in any way? Tell me right now. Like, like that's what I want to tell people when we have this discussion. Give me one way. First, let's bring up the drunk driving yeah. deaths in Wisconsin. Yeah. And let's get that on board. Yeah. And now tell me how this enriches your life. Yeah, truly. What, what is it generating? Financially. generating income. Nope. Right. There's there's nothing about it. So I don't want to get too far off topic because I know Heidi has more. Well, hold on. I actually did. So I pulled up this before we started mm-hmm. tonight. According to the National Center for Drug Abuse Statistics, there are 261 alcohol-related deaths per day in the U.S. Per day. Per day. That's more than COVID, by the way. By the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And look at the insanity around COVID. Yeah. It's legal. The insanity around a point zero zero nine percent fatality rate of a of a <laughs> of yep. COVID, yep. and now two hundred and sixty one deaths per day, and that's you, just in the U.S. You hear nothing about it. Yeah, you hear nothing about it. Yeah. Well, y- you have you have names on baseball stadiums. You have names on sports mm-hmm. arenas. You know they they're the. After the prohibition ended, this this country was bought and mm-hmm. sold by alcohol. So it's it's a legal drug, and they made and, it normal. Yeah, and and it mm-hmm. literally does like you have an effect because it's it's literally doing damage to your body. Yeah, it's like eating like psychedelic mushrooms. The reason why you have that experience is because your your brain bleeds. Mm-hmm. You know, so you you look at I it what always gets me is is I don't look at you as a 20, 30-year-old drinking and and ended up in a deathbed, which is there are a lot of those, and I've, I've seen yep, six more in and the more last all the time. few months. Mm-hmm. Um, but I go into 400-plus houses a year in homes, and I see people like getting close to retirement. And I've literally walked into a home had the couple pouring whiskey or something into a, a lowball glass. So you're talking like five ounces of alcohol, like hard liquor. Mm-hmm. And they're like, this is our ritual. You want one? We do this every night after work. Yuck. Um, if you don't want one, feel free to walk through the house and get the information you need for the quote. Hmm. And like mind-blowing how many times people have said, hey, you want a drink or you want a beer? Nope. This is Wisconsin. I'm like, yep, but I don't drink. Oh, is it because you're driving? No. Well, you're the owner of the company. You could drink and drive anyway. Wow. What? 
Well, that's Wisconsin for you right there. And why why is Wisconsin so proud of it? It's honestly, it's a certain, at a certain point, it turned that way. I don't know if Joe agrees with me. Generation X is probably the worst, I'd say. I just There are so many people that we know that we went to school with and that we grew up with that they're still, I mean, in their 40s, nearly 50s, perfectly happy to be wasted, sloppy, nearly blacked out every weekend, last person standing at the party. And let me tell you, it's not cute. Mm -hmm. No. It's not cute. No. And and it doesn't matter how many times you make around at the buckle to try and dress like a young person. When you're at a certain age and you're hammered drunk in an American fighter t-shirt, you just look stupid. Yeah. For real. Yeah, so I mean, back to baby Max. So we bring Max home from the hospital. I was in absolute full-on panic mode because now I had an alcoholic husband who was unreliable, and I had to walk on eggshells whenever I was around him. I had a broken tailbone, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I was in so much pain, and I had a newborn. Where was, uh, let me ask you this, yeah. where was God in this for you at this moment? Were he wasn't. You, were you still going to church? Were no. you skipping out? Were skipping you, out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. God wasn't part of it. Even back when I said that uh, the new baby being in my stomach was my hope for Joe's sobriety, that right there, God was zero part of that situation. Right. Yeah. So I honestly, I don't know if I was on like the verge of like a nervous breakdown I think you were. But yeah. I was mentally not well. I honestly thought I was losing my mind. Well, you were sleep deprived. Max wouldn't sleep, but he wouldn't eat. He wouldn't sleep. He wouldn't eat. Um, I was in a depression. Yeah. I felt unloved. I felt alone. I felt unequipped. I felt worthless. In addition to dealing with the alcoholism and the relationship issues, yeah. you were also dealing with postpartum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Joe wouldn't help me with the baby. He wouldn't even touch the baby. Because of my own insecurities, Max was not a happy baby. He cried all the time, never slept, wouldn't eat. I had to take him to the doctor every week for weight checks. I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Things were dwindling quickly. Well, and like I was under like a mentally under like a spiritual attack where um, I had voiced my opinion about people overpopulating the earth and breeding too much so long as a young person and not agreeing with people just having kids. And I would always say stuff like, oh, you should have to be able to pass a test or have like a doctorate and something to be able to procreate so you don't make more stupid humans, you know. Mm -hmm. And when we had Max... Like, that stuff flooded back. Like, if you drop this baby and it gets harmed, somebody's going to think you did it on purpose because you've been talking against having kids, like, mm. for years. So it, it really, there was so much there. Right. Just now I look back and I'm like, wow, what a lie and what a demonic mm-hmm. um, attack on, on a person that I needed help so badly, but I didn't trust anybody more than I trusted myself. Mm-hmm. So th- there wasn't really anybody at that m- point that could really speak into my life because I, I thought all people were bad in some way, and the mm-hmm. Bible says that they're they're all they all have a bent in some way. Right. Yeah. So I was in this. Honestly, I was in like this mental war. Mm-hmm. I was I was craving the love and affection from my husband. 
even if your husband is the way that he is, like you're still a, a woman, you're still a human, mm-hmm. like you still crave that love and affection that you need from him. But then I was also in this like major conflict of wanting to be a good mom to my son. Mm-hmm. So I was like, which one do I have to choose here? I, ca- I can't focus on both of them. Each one of them with Joe being an alcoholic with all his issues and Max being a colicky baby that would never eat and never sleep. Those were two big mountains where I, I could, there's no way that I could tackle both of them. Right. So obviously I chose my son mm-hmm. because he's an infant mm-hmm. and he can't care for himself. But I wasn't doing it successfully. I was doing it, but not successfully. We actually joke now as a family with Elf, the Christmas movie Elf. Yeah, because with Will Ferrell. Mm-hmm. For some reason. So Max wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't nurse, but he also wouldn't drink bottles. He just wouldn't eat. No. Yeah. And so I would have to trick him to take the bottle. So like a six ounce bottle for him would take us like three hours mm-hmm. for him to drink it all. And it, he doesn't have a problem <laughs> eating now, let me tell you. <laughs> and it got to a point where I'd almost have to like trick him and distract him. Right. So I would put on Elf, the movie, mm-hmm. and he would like watch it for a little bit and like suck on the bottle for a little bit. And then he'll, he'd stop. And then he'd turn and look at Elf for a little bit, mm-hmm. and then he would drink the bottle. It was such a process. To this day, I can almost verbatim quote Elf. Quote Elf. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he would cry and wake up every second that I would lay him down in his crib. I was grateful for this blessing, but I wasn't happy. Can I just make a disclaimer quickly? Yeah. Because Maximus Joseph King, I know you're listening. Mm-hmm. You are a blessing. And even though that me and your dad maybe weren't ready to be parents at that moment, God knew what he was doing. Mm -hmm. He brought you into this world on the exact day that you were supposed to come into this world. Mm -hmm. You were born for such a time as this. And he was a big part of the deliverance, too, because it was at that point, um, a ways in after he was born, that I really started thinking, like, I cannot. Mm Mm-hmm do this to this child. Yeah. Right. Because it was not done to me. Shout out Teenage Patriot. That kid is now doing like his (laughs) own Bible studies on his YouTube channel. Look him up at Teenage Patriot. Yeah. He just, he just uploaded a couple with pastor and they're pretty good. So anything that you're hearing, Max, just know that God turned it all for good and you are perfectly here with us perfectly now. And we love you. Absolutely. Absolutely so much. And I was there throughout the whole thing. And uh, not to brag or anything, but I feel like I could get you to sleep pretty darn well as auntie. Do you remember when every every time that you would talk, he'd go, ah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So is the disrupting uh, cow, interrupting cow. (laughs) Yeah. I couldn't talk or he would talk over me. It was. And he was. He wasn't even one. No, he couldn't form words. No. He could just make sounds, and he was drowning me out. (laughs) It's so funny. He's the best. Max, you're the best. Yeah, you are. We don't earmuff our kids to this kind of spiritually... um, No. This this spiritual stuff, because uh, they need to know that they've been delivered from this. Absolutely. Yes, and to understand the absolute destruction 
that can be a result of addiction and addiction unless you're able to address the generational curse and break it off of your generation and generations to come has a chemical biological component Mm -hmm. okay and until people take it from a spiritual standpoint and break it off and abstain Mm -hmm. they need people need to understand that that devil comes against generation after generation and and if the generation doesn't know the testimonies of those that went before them Mm -hmm. they'll be they they'll they won't have a defense when temptation comes. Right. It'd be like, oh yeah, that's not, I'll try that. How bad could it possibly be? Yeah. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why we don't like if he's listening to the podcast. That's why we don't guard him from it. Is because no. we want him to be. Well, and he's fifth. I mean, he's gonna be yeah. fifteen in a month. Right. But the idea of of being, you know, even if there's something supernatural happening at church, I'm not gonna run him out of the room because no, they should be they there. They need to be effective mm-hmm. for the kingdom of God. Absolutely. That's right. So I was kind of getting to a point where I, I, I needed, I needed something. I, mm-hmm. I, what kind of life have I just created? I was living a nightmare. I didn't know what I was going to do. I remember this one time we were out of formula for Max and I told Joe to run to the store and buy formula and he did not come back for six hours mm-hmm. and he came back with no formula Yeah, because he went to the bar instead. And I was ready to just lose my mind. Right. These are those moments where I had like very impure thoughts of like, this guy needs to go. And this is precisely why you said what you said at the beginning, because people hear that and they're like, how could you? And I'm sure this is hard for Joe to hear. Right. Well, yeah. But that is a, that was a broken man mm-hmm. under control of a rotten devil. Mm-hmm. And that is all under the blood. Yeah. Right. Yeah. At that moment, mm-hmm. when that situation happened that night, my life was getting so black and so dark. And I felt like there was no escape. Right. I would fight with him so much. And to this very day, it takes two people to fight. Mm-hmm. I've realized this. Yeah. It takes two people to fight. I have to be honest, I probably still fall into the trap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but you know, I'm very aware of it now. It's like our human mind can't deal if someone speaks ill to us or hurts our feelings. That monster comes out of you immediately. And often you can't put it back in its cage. Right. Like once you let it out of its cage, it's out and it's going to go for blood. Mm-hmm. Joe was a full-blown drunk, full-blown drunk, and not a good person. But the one thing that I still thank God for to this day is that he never physically hurt me, mm-hmm. right? A lot of alcoholic husbands have those tendencies, and I'm grateful that I did not have to fight that battle. Right. No matter how drunk he was or how snaky he got, he never touched me. Mm-hmm. I can't even count the number of broken things that we had over the years, picture frames, glasses, candles, chairs, tables. I mean, you name it, and it was broken. Absolute path of destruction, rages of anger constantly consumed him. And the and you, right? Yeah, and you. absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But here, here's what the problem was, though, is the problem was, is I would listen. You know how there's a difference between, what is it? Hearing and listening? Yes. I was 
which one is it that you're actually like taking in what they're saying? Listening. Listening. Mm-hmm. I was listening. Yeah. And that was mistake number one. Mm-hmm. Because I was listening to the things that he was saying and then therefore fighting back with him. Right. But you weren't fighting against flesh and blood. That's which right. Which know now. And now even I look back and I think, what a joke. Because I was fighting with someone who was drunk. Right. Joe, that- what's that scripture? People also, you know, it's your entitlement or right to be heard too. Mm-hmm. So if somebody says something or a bunch of things to you and you don't feel even though you respond you don't feel you're getting your point across you keep hammering that nail mm. you know riding that horse pre- to town pre- yeah pre- <laughs> yeah pre- shout out pastor lynette <laughs> there's nothing left to hit mm-hmm. for we wrestle we are not wrestling with this is the amplified too yeah for we are not wrestling with flesh and blood mm-hmm. contending only with physical opponents but against the depotisms against the powers, against the master spirits who are the world rulers of this present darkness, Mm -hmm. against the spirit forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural sphere. And that's Ephesians 6.12. And then it goes into putting on the full armor of God. Right. Mm. And so that's what we're... That's what I missed. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I missed that part. Yeah. So he wasn't ever physically violent with me, but the verbal abuse... Mm-hmm. was on the extreme end. Right. So I've always had like the, so the gift and the call are irrevocable. Mm-hmm. They're without repentance. So God gives us gifts. So I always had like a good gift of discernment. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always able to like get out of the room before something went off, you know, if I needed to or whatever. Um, like everybody I've seen in my life that, that, uh, did like physical harm to like their significant other or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I always seen the worst of the worst happen to them mm-hmm. and they were always a victim, but they were always kind of like in my mind, they were always a scumbag. Right. Right. Um, like if I'm going to get in a fight, I'm going to pick the biggest guy in the room and I'm going to take him to town and then nobody else in the room is going to want to fight me. You know, so when I was that guy, that's kind of how I worked the room. So why would I pick on this little lady that I'm supposed to be in love with? Two is um, physical cheating. Everybody I knew throughout my life that uh, was a cheater had health problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he also never cheated on me. They either had health problems or they had anxiety or both. Like, I'm talking physical health problems. So that was always a big no-no for me, too. Mm-hmm. Um, the only place I did struggle there is I struggled really hard with pornography. That was, like, an easy door for me to open. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I know at one point I convinced myself, like, that that was okay. Right. Uh, it wasn't until the conviction of the Holy Spirit hit me. That mm-hmm. I realized, like that—that that is literally eating your your spirit, man. Right. It's consuming it. Mm-hmm. You you cannot you cannot serve anything else if you're being mastered by uh, the physical uh, outcome of looking at that trash. Right. So with the verbal abuse that was going on at home, 
have you ever heard the saying stick and stick? Yeah. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Yeah. One of the biggest lies I've ever heard. True that. <laughs> Literally. Literally. Biggest <laughs> lie I've ever heard. Malarkey. Words are hurtful. Yeah. And they cut you deep and they stay in your mind and they replay and they replay and they replay. And they begin to change the way that you see yourself. You begin to believe the lies that are being spoken over you. Seriously. Mm -hmm. Joe had a fine-tuned ability to take those innermost, deepest insecurities and just mock me with them. He was excellent at it. With anybody. <laughs> yeah. That, that's what bullies do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Every time he would say something hurtful... I would listen, which again was my problem, and I would take it very personal, and I would fight back. Because if he's going to attack me, I'm going to attack him, right? Mm -hmm. If he's going to hurt me, I'm going to hurt him. Why do humans go for blood? Why did Cain kill Abel? Right. Yeah. He was jealous of his sacrifice. He was, he was jealous of the, the freedom that Abel had due to his... His offering. Yeah. Why do we go into this demonic mode when someone says something hurtful to us? Well, the the, the biggest thing to look at there is l most people that do that, they don't do it to a stranger on the street. Right. They oh, do right. it to somebody that they feel or they've gotten close enough to where they know that they're still going to spend Christmas with them. Yep. Like, yep. you're going to have to forgive me. Mm-hmm. So, Christians are Christians are some of the worst to do it to each other, uh, because if you don't forgive them for their attitude or whatever they've said or done, then you're not a good Christian. Mm -hmm. That piece right there was probably one of the hardest lessons that I learned um, through my piece of the testimony. I mean, it was multiple spirits. Yes, absolutely, it was. And so, I spirit think of anger, some of that spirit of lust. I, yeah. Right. And even the like Alcohol. verbal abuse to one another, like that too, like it's not humanly possible to know the other person's every insecurity mm. or soft spot. It's like some of that is fueled by darkness. Mm -hmm. Supernatural. And like, I'm going to hit that. Mm. And like, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so it's not even just that it was all alcohol. I want to make sure that that's clear. You weren't only dealing with that spirit, but many others yeah. as well. Yeah. Anger yeah. and all those. Well, and we, the one thing we did discuss before we got married is neither one of us believed in divorce. Mm -hmm. So when, when somebody makes an oath like that, um, if you're the first one to quit, you're the weakest one automatically. Mm -hmm. uh, and then two, with that being known, you 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 feel <clears throat> excuse me, you feel you can get away with saying just about anything to somebody if if they have no way out. Yeah. Right. You know. What I started to notice with Joe though that if I didn't fight back, a lot of the times. It wouldn't go for as long. Mm -hmm. He would he would almost kind of wear himself out. If I wasn't like, because what happens when you fight back is even one word that will come out of your mouth mm -hmm. 
you just involved yourself in that dance. Yeah. So you just gave them ammo to be able to shoot that back right at you. engaged. Even with that one word. Mm -hmm. When a person is in fight mode, they're honestly, they're having like some insanity in their brain at that point. Right. Because you can tell the spirit changes Mm -hmm. when someone is in like that crazy, crazy, crazy fight mode. Right. You're better off to just keep your mouth shut. Like, we're not talking about a simple argument about where to eat dinner. Correct. We're talking about, like, a days long... Where you can tell the atmosphere changed. Yes. Like, yeah. something's not right anymore. Mm-hmm. You can't reason with them at all. Right. Um, it took me years to, to learn that lesson, and honestly, there's, there's moments even now that I sometimes don't learn that lesson, but... I was going to say, by the time you learned it, like... We, <laughs> you gotta we got to relearn it again. <laughs> no, we got set free, and you didn't need it, really. <laughs> Um, I kept listening to what he would say, getting hurt, and then I wanted to hurt him back. Right. Now she gets hurt because I, I share scripture with her when she's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Fight we do scripture. have like scripture battles now. <laughs> the, the sword of the spirit cuts deep. Yeah. Um, I started to become so bitter and angry that honestly, I actually wanted to kill him. And I'm not mm. saying that like funny. Like I, I honestly wanted to kill him. I hated him. I wanted bad things to happen to him. Mm-hmm. I wanted him out of my life. The unfortunate part is wanting that on someone else is actually only hurting yourself. I, I hated him. <laughs> I hated myself. I hated my life. We would throw knives at each other. We would wish death on each other. He would threaten to kill himself all the time. He would try to jump out of moving cars when we were on the highway. Mm-hmm. He would load guns. Well, actually, one time he loaded a gun in the basement. And, you know, thank God he did not pull that trigger. But I felt like I was at rock bottom. The only way at this point things could get worse would be if we would die. Like, that's where I was at mentally, physically, mm-hmm. emotionally, everything. You feel like every moment of every day is darkness. Everything is fake. There is no joy. You don't know what to do. We couldn't pay any of our bills because he drank all of our profit. We were so far behind in our rent. It was a miracle we didn't get evicted before we did, Mm -hmm. honestly. I couldn't keep doing this. Max was now about six months old. I would have so many moments of happiness with Max because I'm not sure if you know this, but I don't think there's anything cuter than a six-month-old. That's like right when they become fun and they're crawling and they laugh and, and all that stuff. So when Max started to get to that point, that's kind of when I was like, okay, I'm at a fork in the road right now. When you think the next thing is death and there is no way out, you're at your fork in your road. Mm -hmm. You're either going to give up the rest of your life and just lay there and die. Or you're going to start making changes and see what you're really made of. So I'm not really sure how the brain fully operates or what it takes for a person to hit that rock bottom because it's different for all of us. But I knew that I was there. I knew it was time that I needed to change something and I had to make my life better. And I had to make Max's life better. And I never believed in divorce, like Joe said. So it was basically just something in me that convinced me that with Joe, that was going to be the rest of my life and that's that. And I'm just going to learn to cope with it. Mm-hmm. Um, none of my family knew what Joe was like because I also do not believe in bad-mouthing your spouse around family and friends. Mm-hmm. Or looking to, to seek asylum with them. Yeah, I didn't want nor need anybody's sympathy about my situation. 
that would have just made it worse. When you are looking for sympathy for people, from mm-hmm. people in your situation, you don't want out of it. Well, if you if yeah. you if you think that there's any chance of making amends or God doing something, but then you tell your friend and your sister and your sister-in-law and your mother and this person and that person about how awful somebody is, when when that change happens, they're still going to hold that person accountable to everything mm-hmm. they've been told Absolutely. because they aren't in the home to see the change. We're not saying not to seek godly counsel. Correct. Come on. You may seek godly counsel from a trusted, non-biased third party, yes. like your pastor, Yes. a counselor, a, a Christian Bible-based counselor. Yeah. There's even some locally. Somebody spirit-filled. Yeah. Yes, yes. But if I would have told like my family and friends about Joe, right. honestly, they would have just tried to convince me to leave him. Right. That's all that would have happened. Yeah. So I decided that I was going to go back to college. Mm-hmm. I was going to get my college degree, and I was going to make a good career for myself so that I could provide for me and my son. Mm -hmm. I knew I didn't have enough time or resources to go to an on-site college, so I signed up for online college. I started taking classes at night, and I do my homework during the brief moments and the times that Max would finally sleep, Mm -hmm. which were not many. My situation with Joe really wasn't any different, but I kind of started to feel a little bit more... Like I was getting a little bit of control back in my life. Mm -hmm. February of 2009, Maximus Joseph turns one. Um, We are so behind on bills that I had no choice but to go back to work. Mm -hmm. This was killing me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely killing me. I didn't love or like my husband at that time. And even the thought of him having to watch our son was too much for me to bear. Mm-hmm. I just, I couldn't really, I couldn't think like that. I, it just, it destroyed me. I couldn't trust him, but we didn't have any money. We didn't have a place to, like, I needed food. I needed a place to live. Like, I had to shelter my kid. So I started a second shift job, working mm-hmm. 3 to 11. And I actually thought that this would be a good thing because Joe really would only have to watch him for a few hours. And then hopefully then Max would just go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was kind of like my mindset, even though I felt really horrible about this. Um, I, I part of me kind of enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I, I got so this was a whole year where I was just in this in this space all by myself. Mm-hmm. So one year later is kind of when I finally like peeked my head out of the door. Right. And I started to feel somewhat human again. I started to have a little bit of adult interaction again with people. I started to feel appreciated again. Mm-hmm. And that I had value. With all the verbal abuse from Joe, I had zero confidence. None. Mm-hmm. All of that was just completely sucked right out of me. I felt like a piece of trash left on the side of the road. I felt like I had no value in my life and I felt worthless. And going back to work in the real world, it made me realize that even though my husband, you know, I thought he hated me at that point, too. So even though my husband hated me, there are still others out there that think that I do great work. Because during school, you did like an internship and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. 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 And I got complimented at work. Yeah. You it, were good at it. It was years mm-hmm. since I had a compliment. Right. 
that kind of stuff's crazy. It like it just that tiny little compliment that you give somebody, it like boosts their confidence like mm-hmm. immediately. Yeah. It just gives them like a little a little pick me up. I remember one time I came home from that 11 p.m. shift and there were eggs boiling on the stove. But they were boiling there for a while because the eggs were black. Mm. And there was absolutely zero water in the pan. And I walked around the corner to Joe passed out drunk on the couch. and Max was sleeping in his room. What if... What if that would have started on fire? Right. What if... What if like my brain just went out of control? So many bad things could have happened to this child when I wasn't there. What a horrible mother I was for leaving our child with him. I didn't know what to do. I honestly, I almost quit my job that night. I actually, I used to, because I didn't, I didn't have the capability to take care of him. Almost every night I'd run up to my mom and dad's. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. (laughs) I had no clue. Yeah. We were there a lot. And I knew that if I started drinking, he'd go to sleep. And if I started drinking an hour before you came home, then it, I wouldn't be drinking all night with him. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I didn't know that. So, yeah, it was weird. But there was a lot of times I was at mom and dad's. Wow. Which was weird because then I'd have to sit and listen to their stuff. <laughs> Luckily, they were like mostly preoccupied with the baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they weren't so much preachy with me. My mother-in-law was over one day, and we rarely spoke about this stuff because, I, again, I try not to gush right. about what Joe did to me. I must have said something this day, though, because she told me words that I will never forget for as long as, long as I live. She said, Heidi, you have to stop fighting with Joe when he's drunk because you are not fighting with Joe. You're fighting with a demon. Yep. When Joe is under the influence, he is no longer there. Yep. And you're fighting with a demon. Mm-hmm. Now, if that doesn't scare you <laughs> to your innermost core. If you're unequipped. It and, and I was unequipped. If I was, you're unequipped, it should. Right. Mm-hmm. I was like fully, fully unequipped. I, mm-hmm. I, in my brain, I'm like, I'm fighting with a demon are you kidding me right now? I'm living with a demon. Mm-hmm. Like this demon is in my house and I'm engaging with him. Side note, good time to take notes. <laughs> if you're dragging your children to church, but not involving them in your growth, mm-hmm. they're nothing more than a spectator or a passenger because she had went to church her whole life. I had went to church my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, to be ill-equipped or unequipped or defenseless in those situations, had we had strong roots, like for her especially, I had strong roots, but those were affected in different ways. Mm-hmm. But we see a lot of people that get saved, you know, 20, 29, 30 to 30 six right and they just they're so focused on their spiritual growth well can i say this as someone who also i mean i never ever stopped going to church i never like fully fell away Mm -hmm. right i had some years of rebellion but nothing crazy crazy Mm -hmm. how often do they separate girls and tell them they're fearfully and wonderfully made Mm -hmm. and then they tell the boys to put on the full armor Mm -hmm. and that do you know what I mean yeah 
the churches are not equipping women. I mean, that needs to start when they're young. Mm-hmm. They tell the stories of Queen Esther and, mm-hmm. you know, all, all of the most well-known Bible stories. Sure, we mm-hmm. hear them in Sunday school. Yeah. But people are not spiritually equipping kids in general. Yeah. But women, even right now, how many conferences do you can people go to or you listen to podcasts or read books and it's all the same thing like just bask in the presence of the lord he loves you mm-hmm. rest in him you are fearfully and wonderfully made mm-hmm. um yeah i'm capable of a lot more mm-hmm. put me in coach tap <laughs> <laughs> me in yeah tap me in mm-hmm. when i was told that with joe i mean i don't I don't know. I'm sure she's told me many times before. I mean, even earlier, I knew that I was dealing with demonic things. But you know how you hear something like 400 times, then all of a sudden one time it just clicks. Yeah. And honestly, that's God's timing. It was time. You had ears to hear. He was ready for me Mm -hmm. to get on board. Yep. And I started to look at Joe in such a different way. Honestly, I didn't want to be anywhere near him. (laughs) <laughs> I would like right. stay away from him. Mm-hmm. You demonically possessed little man. <laughs> like yeah. get away from me. Um, and like Joe was saying, I was raised, we were raised in the church. I went to Sunday school. I right. went to church events. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I wasn't like receiving the way that I should. We were even told not to missionary date. Yeah. Di- you know, like we, I knew, we knew, I knew all the oh, right yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that church was a part of life. Like, I, I, I knew all of this. I, I had those. But it's a difference between church culture and an actual relationship. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all these years that I was just talking about, we did not attend church. Um, but all of a sudden, that day, it was like God became extremely real to me in that moment. Mm-hmm. The reality that heaven and hell are real, that angels and demons are real, it all started hitting me like a ton of bricks, like my wall started to come down. Just because you don't believe that demons are real, that doesn't change anything. Mm-mm. They are real, whether you believe it or not. Right. I was a big chicken to begin with. Like we've all, like you all know that I had struggled with fear and anxiety, do still fighting it. Mm-hmm. So I've always been kind of a chicken. So all my life I hated scary movies, hated horror movies. Mm -hmm. I used to have to sleep at the foot of my parents' bed when I was in grade school Mm -hmm. because I hated horror movies so bad. I was never watching horror movies. Um, And so now I'm sitting with my mother-in-law and she's telling me that I've been fighting with a demon for years now. Yeah, gross. So I'm basically living in a horror movie. Mm -hmm. Are you kidding me? Right. That was a wake-up call for me. That was the alarm that I needed to hear, and my attention was now caught. The following Sunday, I went back to church. Mm-hmm. I made a decision that I have to make my life better, and it finally hit me that I cannot change Joe. You cannot change people, no matter how much you think you can. All the latest and greatest ideas you have of how I'm going to change somebody, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Only one person can change people, and that's God. I was fed up and I was scared out of my mind that I was encountering demonic activity in my own home and I was fully unaware of it. So I started attending church on a regular basis by myself without Joe. Can I just do a shout out quick? If Mm -hmm. you 
if you struggle with going to church with your spouse, if one of your if one of you doesn't want to go to church, that's okay. Yeah. Go to church. Yep. Go to church by yourself. Mm-hmm. Leave them home. They'll get jealous of church. Yep. The spouse will. Yeah. I never sat and begged Joe to go with me. I did none of that. It was just me and Max. Honestly, I didn't want Joe to go with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I didn't. Because there was a gulf between you. There and was you were such like, a gulf between fine. us. I'll have more space between us. Yeah. I was working, going to school. I was going back to church. I was being a mom. Mm-hmm. I started to feel like my life was coming back to me finally. So I'm sitting at church one Sunday, and our pastor delivers a message about stingers. He was referring to those things that have gotten stuck in you like the stinger of a bee. And a stinger of a bee has barbs, mm. and it works its way deeper and deeper and deeper mm. until it causes effect, infection, and then your body tries to kick it out. Yeah, That was like one of the services I attended <laughs> right before I got delivered. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I still remember the message. Yes. Stinging stingers, right? You referenced it in yeah. your testimony, yeah. They were all open wounds that were unable to heal. Mm-hmm. And he said that I needed to pull these stingers out. And it's so crazy how we can be sitting in a church pew and everyone is smiling and laughing around you, but no one knows what's on the inside of you. Right. No one knows that the person over here deals with suicidal thoughts or the person over there deals with pornography or me who had a hidden alcoholic husband and was depressed. Mm-hmm. No one knows that. You're all just sitting next to each other, brushing shoulders, and no one knows anything. I mean, I'd pray that God reveals that through his Holy Spirit, right? The, you know, it makes me sad to think that, yeah. that that's the case. Like, yeah. I feel like we all need our discernment turned up. Absolutely. But. At the end of that message, he said, if anyone has stingers in their life, come up to the altar and we will pray that they be removed. So I went up for prayer. They prayed that all the stingers be removed from me. I had a lot of them, obviously. And there was just this constant prick and constant reminder of those life choices. I broke into pieces at that altar that Sunday, and something changed in me. Between my mother-in-law's advice to stop fighting with that demon and this church message about things and stingers being removed, I started to become a different person. When Joe would fight with me, I wouldn't fight back. He would still verbally hurt me so badly So what I started to do was to go into my closet in my bedroom and I would sit on the floor and I would just cry and cry and cry and I started to just talk to Jesus. And this was even before the War Room movie came out. Mm -hmm. That's crazy to me that I was doing what that movie was doing and that movie came out like six years later. Yeah, Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. God works with you in your prayer closet, people. Go to your prayer closet. Shout out War Room. Yeah. So I started just talking to Jesus. So this is going to sound crazy, but I started to treat Jesus like I would a best friend. Yep. I told him everything. I told him all the things that Joe said to me that hurt me. I asked for help. I pleaded with him to help me. I I felt so unloved at that point in our marriage. Man, when you feel unloved, it's just the worst It is the worst feeling ever. Mm -hmm. But the more that I would talk to Jesus in my closet, the more that I wanted to talk to him in my closet. You were in our literal closet. I was in the literal closet. And it was a tiny closet. I didn't have a walk-in closet. Mm -hmm. It was a tiny little closet. I sat on shoes. Right. Yeah. 
I would close my eyes and I would get a picture of him in my mind and I would just tell him everything. And I started to read my Bible. And I mean, don't get me wrong, this was not an overnight change, but I slowly started to feel better. Mm -hmm. I slowly started to have hope again. I was definitely at a hopeless state because when I started to get that hope back again, it was like the light was turned back on. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you didn't really realize how hopeless you were until the light gets turned back on. Right. And they're like, whoa, like that was really bad. I started to get happy again. I started to enjoy my son more. I was doing great at work. I liked school and I craved going to Sunday's church service, Mm -hmm. craved it. My hatred that I felt for Joe started to leave very slowly, Mm -hmm. (laughs) very, very slowly, but it started to leave. The hatred that I once felt for him started to turn to pity. I started to feel sorry for him. I knew God was doing something in me, and because of that, I knew that I had to forgive Joe. Mm -hmm. Because when you hold someone in unforgiveness, God can't forgive you. That's Matthew 6, 14 and 15. So that's biblical. Mm -hmm. Do you know that if you hold someone in in unforgiveness, it's not only blocking you, but it's also blocking them from receiving God's miracles? It's not a place that you want to be in. It blocks everything. So I started to pray for Joe every day. I would pray blessing over him. I would take olive oil and I would pray and I would put it on everything that he owned. I would put it on his pillow, Mm -hmm. which was actually on the couch because we didn't sleep in the same room for a good couple years. Because he didn't sleep really, right? right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would put oil on his clothes, Mm -hmm. on the doorknobs, on the beer in the fridge. I put oil on everything. Mm -hmm. I put it on his chewing tobacco. Anything I could think of that he touched, I would put oil on it and I would pray over it. Why did I do this? Because I knew my mother-in-law always told me to anoint things with oil. Mm -hmm. And I started reading in the Bible that many of the scriptures say to anoint them with oil. It's in Leviticus Mm 8.12. It's in Psalms 23.5. It's in James 5.14 and 16. It's in Mark 6.13. And I could go on. The verses are all over the place. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. Well, and it's it's an act of faith Mm -hmm. in trusting God. So like the anointing of Samuel over David, totally different ball game. But sometimes when you're reaching out to God, you got to do something that doesn't necessarily make sense mm-hmm. to your flesh to to j- just prove to him that you're serious about, like, I need you in this. Um, my mother would also pray that my taste would change and alcohol would taste terrible to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so between the two of them being crazy, you know, it, it started wrecking the party for me. Mm-hmm. Did you know that she was doing all that at no. that time? No. I, if it anything, I thought operation. my yep. if anything, I thought my mom was creeping around and mm. annoying the mailbox type of stuff. But sure, she always did crazy stuff like mm-hmm. that. I also learned the verses about the power of the tongue. Two of them are the ones that started to weigh on me heavy. And one of them was Proverbs eighteen twenty one, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Here's the thing about Christianity. If you go to church on Sundays, you are considered a Christian. By today's standards. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's not true. No. That's not true. Mm-mm. Any church is better than no church. Don't get me wrong. 
My parents were amazing. They took me to church every Sunday. They went to Bible studies. They went to church conferences. Yeah, they led you to water. They did. But did you drink it? Absolutely. For me as a teenager, though, I put Christianity into going to church on Sundays. And I only opened that box on Sundays. It was my Christianity box, and it was on Sundays only. Right. And I would open it for two hours, and then I would shut it up again. I wasn't getting it. Mm -hmm. I wasn't unlocking the true relationship with Christ that is available to every single one of you Mm -hmm. and me. A lot of the time, people do not even get to that place of looking for a higher power until they are on death's door or tragedy hits and they are broken. It's like your spirit kicks in at that point and screams out, there's more. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? When you're in that super, super, like when you're about to die, I feel like your spirit's like, there's more. Come on. Like, Mm -hmm. do this before you take your last breath. I was raised in the church. I knew the name of Jesus. But it wasn't until I hit that place in my life where I started to cry out to God. Mm -hmm. And I started to read his word daily and talk to him daily that I started to see that I was getting it wrong all this time. There is so much potential to unlock, and we never unlock it. We treat this earthly life as if it's everything, when in the big picture, it's nothing. It's a practicing ground for residing in heaven one day. Certain verses in the Bible started to stick with me and run through my mind day and night. They call that meditating on the Mm -hmm. word, right? Right. By meditating on on the word, it brings curiosity and wonder. And do you know what curiosity and wonder bring? God shows up. Right. Every single time. When childlike faith, Mm -hmm. every child is curious and has a huge amount of wonder. Mm -hmm. God always shows up when you are in that place. He makes himself real to you. And I actually started to take the verses that I was reading and doing them. Mm -hmm. So that's a big difference too. Don't just read them. Right. Do them. Right. So I started to apply them in my real life situations. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I started to think that if I speak on Joe, that he is a mean, hurtful drunk, I'm actually speaking death on him and therefore speaking death on myself, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm supposed to speak life on him, what am I going to say then? Well, I'm new to this. So the only thing that I could think of was, I thank God that you are a mighty man of God. I mean, that's speaking life, right? So in fights, I wasn't calling him a drunk anymore. When we were in fights and he would walk into the room, under my breath, I would say, thank you, God, that Joe is a mighty man of God. And then if we were in a knockdown fight, Mm -hmm. I would in his face scream, I thank you, God, that Joe is a mighty man of God Mm. in the middle of fights. And I don't know what happened But every time that I would say those words in his face, it was like he would get confused and he would walk out of the room. I started living my life without Joe and being okay with it. So I I forgave him, but I also couldn't focus on him. Does that make sense? So I, I no longer was at a point where I hated him. But I was also at a point where if he if he wasn't gonna change, I couldn't I couldn't focus on that. Right. Like, I, I forgave him. I'll pray for you. I'll love you. But like, if you're not ready to come with me, mm-hmm. I need to leave you where you're at. Mm-hmm. And I need to continue forward because I can't die with you yeah. type of thing. So, I mean, at this point, we were, we were roommates. Mm-hmm. 
we were just living together, but we never did anything. We didn't talk. We didn't really do much of anything other than passing by. But God started to turn up my discernment. And when I would come home, if he was watching porn, I would immediately know it the second I walked through that door. Mm. Something in my body, I, I just knew it. Mm-hmm. Like those gut feelings, I knew it. And this is the weird part, is every single time I would walk to exactly where it was hidden. That's supernatural. Right. That's exciting. And then I would destroy it. Um, so at that point, I was, I was living life. So I was working, mm-hmm. going to school, going to church. I was just doing what I do. And then Joe did what he did. Right. Uh, we would say very few words to each other, kind of just here and there. He wasn't doing well, though. Mm-hmm. And I could tell that because his physical appearance was starting to change. So he started to get these red spots all over his face. Like lesions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you could just tell that something was going on on the inside of his body mm-hmm. that was manifesting on the outside. Right. Um, so one night he thought he was so when we say I'm like when we say I'm dying it's kind of become like this thing of like oh my gosh like right I feel like I'm gonna die it's like how the word literally now became mm-hmm. figurative people are like oh my god I'm dying yeah, yeah. this no, was he, like, an actual was. like he thought that that night was the night that he was gonna go um so I took him to the emergency room they treated him like a normal ER patient but then the weirdest thing happened The doctor that was in that night was a woman, and she came into the room and sat down in front of Joe, and she said, how much alcohol have you consumed, Joe? Mm -hmm. And he goes, well, I drank. You drank beer and hard liquor that day. So some of those symptoms Joe talks about in his testimony. Yeah. And we have a two-part episode, two separate episodes, Mm -hmm. I should say, Mm -hmm. about his... And he goes in depth talking about his symptoms, but that ER doc really. She impacted me that night. Right. And him. Because it wasn't your normal bedside manner that we're used to. Right. Right. So she sits down. You know how they have little wheelie chairs? Yeah. She literally sits like in front of him, Mm -hmm. like very close. And she was like, how many alcoholic beverages have you consumed? Because they're not dumb. Right. Yeah. And he goes, well, I drank. Do you remember what it was? I don't remember. I I was really honest with her. Yeah. He's like, I drank X amount of number of beers mm-hmm. and X amount number of hard liquor today. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, your liver shows it. And it doesn't look like you want any help. Ouch. So why don't you put yourself <laughs> and your affairs in order because I have other patients that need help. And... that's kind of unheard of, right? So before everybody freaks out and was like, I can't believe a doctor ever talked to you like that. I feel like hearing that she must have had some sort of history with alcoholism Mm. and was impacted by it. That's my impression. Yeah. Or God was just using it. I was just going to say, maybe that is something that Joe needed, even though he didn't know it at the time. Mm -hmm. It was like the kick in the pants. To kind of wake him up a little bit and be like, All right, God, you know, I don't know what it was, but it was obviously something I honestly think appointed 
mm-hmm. because that's not normal. Those things don't happen. Right. Especially at the institution where you were. Correct. It's, yeah. it's a highly, highly mm-hmm. regarded. Highly. <laughs> like highly regarded. <laughs> she basically told him to go home and get his affairs in order. Mm-hmm. What was your thought? Were you like, yep. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I mentally, because my heart changed for Joe, again, it kind of all falls back to you can't change somebody. Mm-hmm. So I felt my heart broke for him. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I knew that if he didn't want to stop, that this was just his fate. Right. If you don't want to stop the thing that's killing you, it's going to kill you. Mm-hmm. Like, there has to be some moment of your life where you say no. Like and I'm you surrender to not, God. Yeah, I'm not yeah. doing this anymore, mm-hmm. right? My heart was really honestly breaking for him, though. I started to see that he was a prisoner mm-hmm. in this alcoholic prison. Praying for him after that appointment came easier and easier and easier because my love for him was being revived, mm-hmm. right? Right. Restored. Yeah. yeah. I started to love him through Jesus's eyes as well and not my own. And that's something that I had not experienced before. So my pastor at that time would always say, hurting people hurt people. I was really starting to understand and fully see that. I'm not sure what was going on, but every Sunday I would get up and I would go to church. And all of a sudden that next Sunday, so after that appointment, mm-hmm. that next Sunday, Joe gets in my car. And then he fought with me the entire drive to church. Because from his perspective, and again, he goes into this in his his testimony, mm-hmm. he thought you were indifferent, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And that you there was a coldness. Mm. And behind the scenes, you were... I was praying for him like crazy. Yeah. Isn't that something? Mm-hmm. For me, church was my refuge. Mm-hmm. It was your safe space. It was my safe place. Mm-hmm. I took notes. I loved it. Yeah. I received every word the pastor spoke. I worshipped. I just, it was like my, ugh, I just needed it. Mm-hmm. So I think even part of me kind of thought like. Because you were hungry. Him being in the car like, really? Yeah. I have one thing that I do. Right. I'm very selfish on my part, honestly. But. Well, because. The idea of him changing and being delivered probably was so distant. Like you were praying for him. Yeah. But there was probably a part of you on some level that didn't have the faith to see it through. or well, didn't. It, You actually bring up a great point because a lot of the times it's easier to pray for somebody when they're not in front of your face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because when you have somebody in front of your face, you are watching circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it makes a very big difference. And because me and Joe really didn't have a relationship and we just kind of passed by, it was honestly, it was very easy for me to pray with him because we really didn't engage all that much. Our approach to our spiritual man, Matthew, Matthew 12, 12, and from the days of John the Baptist until the present time, the kingdom of heaven has endured violent assault. And violent men seize it by force. As a precious prize, a share in the heavenly kingdom is sought with most ardent zeal and intense exertion. Mm -hmm. So, like, it should be war. 
yeah mm. to reach those places of of being uh successful a conqueror mm-hmm. it should be war and any war you know the, there's all kinds of spoils of war that if you ever watch these these shows these pawn shows or whatever there there's always treasures that they find that grandpa had in his closet since yeah. world war Two or yep. world war one the the spoils of war well the the spiritual spoils of war are going to be an attribute to your constitution and your personality your character and all these things the whole uh spiritual genetic makeup of your your person so it it puts you in a place of of faith when you the person who's doing the praying or the, yeah. yeah yeah when you have a bunch of um people that are in it just to not have a panic attack at night so they go for like 45 minute service you know on a sunday and they don't do any midweek and they don't mm-hmm. read their bible and maybe they'll listen to a youtube worship song here and there when they're feeling bad or anxious we have to we have to start looking at this the way it's written mm-hmm. like we have to do something about this yeah you yeah. have to take it by force you have to that that violent energy behind uh our approach mm-hmm. it's like we're going to do something about this mhm I'm coming in and taking it, God. Yeah. And when he sees that, then he's excited that you're now coming. You're you're fulfilling what he created. You're made in his image and likeness. Mm-hmm. God is one that, that took people through the storms, and he, he did the things like had him march around Jericho seven times, and the walls just crumbled. Right. If we if we want to be effective and we want to see God work in our life, we have to put forth an effort. Like her talking about rubbing oil all over everything is an act of faith, and 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 hoping that that would be something where if I touched it, I would feel the presence of God. Mm-hmm. How often do you think people encounter your situation where you're praying for Him, you're anointing the house, and then He's still given a death sentence, and they retreat. Right. And they're like, well, this must be the resolution that God brought about. Right. Rather than perceiving it as it is, which is the enemy ramping up their attack. Absolutely. Because they know it's their last card. And like, it, rather than meeting that with the same amount of force, like you're describing, mm-hmm. and going brave heart, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. To give a visual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're like... Your will be done, Lord. Mm-hmm. And they back fully off. Yep. What a lot of times is somebody's ill, people distance themselves. Yeah, yeah. they do, because it's it's easier. Yep. It's easier to lose somebody. And then, two, sometimes we don't know how to respond. So that Sunday, after the ER visit, yeah. Joe pops in my car. He fights with me the entire way to church. We get to church, and I go in, and he says he's going to go park the car. So this particular Sunday, there was a special guest speaker, mm-hmm. and I was, I'm was i a note taker. So on this Sunday, like, I really wasn't able to follow, like, my notes really didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But I was like, you know what? Church is church, and I can receive anything. Right. And so I just, I was still happy. I knew that God had it in there for a reason. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay. So church was good. We come home from church. And Joe goes back to his booze bottle. 
So basically, business as usual. Right. (laughs) Nothing is different. Mm -hmm. Um, And I went and did my thing, and he went and did his thing. And this has become the new normal of our life. So. At that time. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One week later, I'm still working, doing business as usual. But I noticed that Joe wasn't drinking like he normally does. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't think of it too much because honestly, I wasn't, me and Joe weren't like intricately involved in each other's lives at this point. You were coexisting. So like I knew, I, I noticed it, but it wasn't like, I gotta go talk to Joe about this. You know, like that yeah. just wasn't our relationship. It was basically just like a mere observation. And I just kind of continued doing my own thing. Well, another day passed and no drinking. And like, obviously now it's catching my attention. Did you have alcohol in the house? Because like there was already, there was always There was always alcohol in the house. And so that second day, I actually noticed there was no booze Mm. at all in the entire house. And I was like, what in the world is happening? Like, what is happening? I had zero clue what was going on. I was excited, right? But were you trying to play it cool? Absolutely, I was playing it cool. Because I lived so long in this space that I was convinced that if I said a single word mm-hmm. about any of it, that he would immediately go back to drinking. Like to spite you? Absolutely. Yeah. So I kept my mouth completely shut. I didn't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. I didn't call anybody to figure out what was going on. Yeah, like I didn't know. I didn't talk to him. And I feel like I was pretty darn close to the both of you, really, yeah. during that entire time. Like, so so seven days later is when I is when I actually started to notice, like, this guy's not drinking. Mm-hmm. There's no booze in my house. It's very strange. So I think it was possibly, I mean, it was maybe within that week or the week after, I go to work, and I actually worked with Christina. Yeah. My sister-in-law. And she comes up. Do you remember this? She comes up to me in the break room and she says, did you hear what happened to Joe? And I said, no. And you said God delivered him from alcoholism. I did? Yeah. And I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah. You heard from me. And you say, yeah. (laughs) So this is you talking. This is exactly how you talk. You said, yeah, I guess he called dad in the middle of the night last Sunday. Okay, so it was seven days later. Because we worked weekends. Look at, listen to me spilling the tea. Yeah. You go, yeah, I guess he called dad in the middle of the night last Sunday and told him that God just delivered him from alcoholism. He didn't know what to do and was having panic. Dad told him to dump out all of the booze and throw it all away and then prayed with him. Weird. Isn't that... I have zero <laughs> recollection of that. Isn't that crazy, though, that we are a married couple... Yeah. And he gets delivered from alcoholism. You and, live with him. And I live with him. And I find out from my sister-in-law seven days later. So weird. That's so crazy. Look at me with zero tact. <laughs> That's so crazy. I think that a good thing about this, though, is to show people that when, when these like extreme encounters happen with God, when these deliverances happen, they're all going to look a little bit differently. So, like, for us, it wasn't this, like, gushy, like, miraculous 
excited, hugging and embracing and like knowing like it's all over. Crying It's together. all over. Like, right, you know. Right, the end of the war. Yeah. yeah. Like, it, it wasn't like that for us. It, mm-hmm. it, it was a process. It, it was actually kind of a secret, honestly, that we both kind of kept because I knew I noticed he wasn't drinking mm-hmm. and he knew he wasn't drinking. And so it was just kind of this hidden thing that was kept between the two of us. Well, if if you just because God did something so miraculous in that moment, uh, the the mind still makes you feel shameful. So yeah. I wasn't bringing it up to everybody. I didn't know how to like. I didn't know how to handle myself without. Right. I I hadn't been without in like sixteen years. So Joe Joe was delivered from alcoholism on. July 11th, mm-hmm. 2009. I started to have my aha moment and my, I need a God and nothing but God to get out of this. Mm-hmm. And that was in March of 2009. Okay. That's insane. Mm-hmm. That is insane to me. When God works, he, when it's a family and a husband and wife, he needs both parties on board Yeah, to be able to fully make that thing beautiful. Yes. So he took me in March of 2009 and woke me up to get my butt back in church and back into that prayer, or not back in, and into that prayer closet and got me to forgive my husband and stop holding all this hatred for him and to just pray for him and intercede for him and anoint my house for oil and do all the things that I was supposed to be doing. With oil, yeah. April, May, June, July. Four months later, he has his encounter and gets delivered from alcoholism. You but had you to also bow had, your knee. We yeah. both you had we both to, got brought to our knees. Yeah. And then there was full um so mom and dad at their church were having prayer meetings every Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. And they had a bunch of young people and then they had Terry Gatewood and some different ones mm-hmm. that would just for hours pray for us. Mm-hmm. Like pray for me to to get saved. If he would have got delivered without without God also working on me, that w- our our situation would have turned out the same way. Right. If he would have got delivered and I still would have been in that hatred mode of I hate you, I feel like we would have had a very different outcome. So after after he got delivered, it was probably like a month where we still kind of kept business as usual where we didn't really talk very much. Mm-hmm. I was still convinced that I couldn't say a word. Otherwise, something bad would happen, and he still Relapse. didn't. And he still didn't tell me. And he so then he was on his own journey of trying to figure out how to process life without alcohol. Mm-hmm. And so this was like another thirty days, and then all of a sudden he did start attending church every Sunday with me. Yeah. Right. So like about one month later is again he kind of he mentioned this in his in his testimony part where we. My parents were in town, mm-hmm. so my bro- my all my family was in that church service. It's a church of like three hundred people, yeah. And that's that Sunday where per service per service, and yeah. that's that Sunday where the pastor was like, "I've I have a special special testimony that's going to be told today." Joe King, you get up here, mm. and that was the sun. That was so thirty days later is the time that I heard the testimony for the first time of what even happened to him in 
the next like room. the real testimony mm-hmm. not from your blabbermouth best friend <laughs> in the cafeteria yeah can i ask a question yeah during this entire time i mean you had a baby so at some point there had to i mean you've main yep. you maintained intimacy physical intimacy within your marriage to a certain degree that was like the only thing right and i and i was in like robot mode sure mm-hmm. so when he was delivered Joe's a naturally affectionate person. Not during that time. Not during that time. Mm-mm. So did that start to come around? Not yet. Or was it months later? It was months later. But you were open to it? Or was God working on you there? Yeah, I was I was open to it. It's it's very interesting because God does all this work in people, but at the same time it was still kind of like two wounded animals. Mm-hmm. And it's like you almost had to get to know each other. Again. We really did. Yeah, we we had to kind of get reacquainted and get right. to know each other again. Yeah, it was it was kind of very confusing. You know, you look at life and you're like, okay, what now? You were still reacting to to me like pretty poorly. I didn't know how to because like God had to work to on me to not respond because the actions of the old me. Well, and keep in mind that Built this was that. four years of that of just marriage. Yeah, and yeah. so two years prior to that, so six years of living this life, mm-hmm. and then in a matter of five Existing. months, yeah, it all changes. Right, and we're both just kind of like, okay. Well, in that test, you're um, you like <laughs> unbelief. Yeah, mm-hmm. you think about. The, the unbelief, like, is this a phase? Is this forever? Is this real? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, we did start to slowly start to do things together again. Mm-hmm. So one of those things being church. So every Sunday we would go to church together, you know, and we would start to go to the grocery store together, mm-hmm. you know, little things like that. I noticed that he would start to engage with Max more. Mm-hmm. So Max was like one and a half, you know, at this point. It was refreshing, but terrifying at the same time. Right. It's really crazy that God can do this miraculous thing. And then at the same time, like Joe said, a little bit of the time that unbelief still comes in where like the floor is like. When is the other shoe going to drop? When uh-huh. is the floor going to drop off? Yeah. yeah. I mean, people feel that way with physical healing, you know? Yeah. Oh, this person got healed of something miraculously. And then they're like, there's a part of them where they're like, God, please don't let it come back. Yes. And that's a great point because when you receive a healing or even a deliverance, that back comes right back to that. You have to maintain it. Yeah. When you receive something from God... It is a gift. You have to steward it. But you still have to steward that gift once you get it. And constantly give thanks. Yes. Yes. You overcome by the word of your testimony. You receive something. You now impart and share that with others. Yeah. And then God will put you in front of the people that need that. Yep. Mm -hmm. So. One thing that people can't. if, If you give your testimony to somebody, they can go ahead and not believe it. But they can't look at your face and see your countenance and see that you you believe because you went through it. Mm-hmm. So they're going to see that you believe what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I, I can spot somebody that doesn't believe what they're saying. Right. You know, like people don't have as good a poker face as they think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've had issue, uh, opportunities where, I don't want to say opportunities. I've, I've been in situations where somebody said they were delivered when they quit. Mm-hmm. There was yep. no sign of deliverance. And then sure. all of a sudden something would happen. And then I would tell Heidi, like, I wouldn't put a lot of stock in that right now because they quit. Yeah. Well, if you quit and you don't put God in there and get delivered, mm-hmm. well, then that thing comes back with seven friends. And again, people are trying yeah. earnestly, right. yeah, but they don't realize that component that they're the not surrender, and they're not fighting against their own flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a spiritual component. A lot of times in that situation too, what I noticed keeps people back is shame. Yeah, yeah. they don't realize God already knows. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like now, he just wants you to to pick a small group to get in front of and get free. Yep, and and create that transparency. If you don't have that group, where where your group? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't keep it inside. No, it's gonna kill you. Yep, yep. Yeah, you have to find a body somewhere and mm-hmm. become a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was ministries where I didn't think I fully agreed with everything they were doing, but I knew I was supposed to be there. Mm. And I, I I put in my time. And God did move me out of a couple places. But now I find myself utilizing the tools that I learned, some of which I didn't really think too highly of. Because for me being on fire and just coming through this, uh, you know, this rebirth mm-hmm. and getting my life back and getting my health back, that wasn't something I needed. Right. Yeah. That's that's for them old burnt out <laughs> Christians. Yeah. So we're, you know, what, two months post delivery del- delivery. Mm-hmm. Sure. Two months post deliverance at this point and Joe doesn't have a job. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a knock on the door and we got served eviction papers. <laughs> and um You're like great. Here we're like, we wow. We just had a miraculous thing happen in our life, and everything is falling apart <laughs> right mm-hmm. now. He has no job. We have no money. I mean, I slid my job. We have no money. We're now getting evicted from our house, and uh, it was just it was just crazy. But here's the thing: is even though we were still navigating those new waters, there was still this like hope and faith that we had with what God just did on both of our parts mm-hmm. that we did, we like maybe, I think maybe we freaked out for like 30 minutes, but we're like, all right, like, let's do this. Right. We packed up all of our stuff. We found a new place to live. And once we got to that new place, it, I immediately felt peace, mm-hmm. absolute peace because I was like that eviction in our human eyes, came at the worst time. But spiritually, it came at the perfect time. Right. Because by getting out of that place, that environment, it removed the bad memories, mm-hmm. the bad events that occurred there. Like this new place was like God just showing you us, this is a fresh start. Yeah. Like, let's go. And the new place that we lived in has not had any alcohol in it. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's just amazing to me. Right. That those things can be restored like that. It's like a clean slate. Yeah. And you wouldn't have been able, because of the circumstances at that time, it wasn't fathomable for you to find a different place to live. Right. We would have never done it on our own. No. I don't think so. It had to be circumstantial like yeah. that. Yeah. So we now were both free. Yeah. We were both free. How many years later are we at? That was in 2009. So we're almost 14. It'll be 14 years this July. Right? Yeah. Yep. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. We're not any better at math, apparently. <laughs> so with that testimony being said, whoever's listening, yeah. don't lose hope. Mm-hmm. The, the moment that you think that it's over and that there's no possible way that you can get out of this and that your world is dark and black and things are just completely taking you over, that is that moment where if you will be willing to just get on your knees and surrender before God, he's going to make it all right for you. Mm-hmm. Don't lose hope and and be prepared to, to if, if that happens, um, if your spouse gets saved, be prepared to to put up with the circumstances, mm-hmm. the, whatever happens. Like, if they get completely on fire, get on fire with them. Yeah. You know, you right. and don't hold them accountable to, to that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, get baptized together. Mm-hmm. Heidi and I got baptized together after yeah. we did. We know a few couples that have done that. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the other thing, too. Like, you had said that, like, can we just be a family for a minute? Surrender to God, and he's going to return all that time back to you. Absolutely. Tenfold. He restores the the years that the canker worm has eaten up. Right. Yeah. And you're not going to miss out on a single thing. Not a single thing. And it's important. You need to remain flexible Mm -hmm. on how the answer comes through for your prayer. Yeah. And restoration doesn't always look exactly how you imagine it, right? Oh, yeah. It didn't for us. Right. No, because you'd think you had a hand in it mm. right mm-hmm. yeah and all in this situation no matter what all glory goes to god absolutely all glory goes to yeah. him because if you knew joe and you knew heidi at at their worst and where they are now it is it is not there's no resemblance yeah but it it's not within the realm of possibility Mm. that we would get here absolutely if you would have told me that me and joe would be in ministry and doing a podcast in that moment of my darkness i probably would have laughed in your face like there's no way possible that we would ever get to that point when he was an alcoholic and i hated him and now we're here yeah that's that's that thing where you can't you can't deem your life or anybody in your life as unsavable. Uh, you were blessed with another child. Yes. A, a business. Yes. You work at the same company. I do. But you do a very different like things. Like a night and day different job. Yes. yes. So many different areas of, of your life are so absolutely different. Yeah. And I know that people think like, well, 
it was just improbable. No. Now there's a difference between improbable and impossible and to know how you both how you were mm-hmm. and see how you are now. I'm telling you from a human perspective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was impossible. Yeah. It was impossible. We've had people come up to us since we've been in ministry. Mhm. And when they hear any part of our story, they almost don't believe it. They're like no way. Right. No way. Are you like that? Like they kind of thought we were born in ministry, raised in ministry, stayed in ministry, and now we're doing ministry. Like that's what they think of us. And they're like, there's no way that you could have came from that past. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, because you were kind of always on your side of things. Like you were like bubbly Heidi. Yes. And like you were kind of, I don't believe intentionally, but you were kind of pigeonholed personality wise don't you think like to a point where you felt like you had to kind of deliver yeah. on that expectation oh yeah, i like always put on see. a face yeah well and and like because you were like a blonde it was it was always this blonde like, by choice shout oh out. it's clumsy ditzy yeah Whoa. and she's like one of the most intelligent <laughs> people i've ever met yeah. and like i've always like that that's a big upset for me is when you dumb yourself down because mm-hmm. that that's that's a lack of confidence in the gifts that God gave you. Mm-hmm. You can't or, take anything violently. The expectations. You can't take anything violently yeah. from the kingdom if if you're just tripping over yourself and giggling about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you have one scripture to send people on their way with, what would it be? Do you want to know what mine is? Mm-hmm. It's Luke four eighteen and nineteen. Do you know what it is? Mm-hmm. For the spirit of the Lord is upon me Mm. because Uh. he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So good. So good. Want to hear mine? Yeah. Revelation 21, 4 and 5. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be anguish, sorrow, and mourning, nor grief, nor pain any more. For the old conditions of the former older order of things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, See, I make all things new. Also he said, Record this. For these sayings are faithful, accurate, incorruptible, and trustworthy, and true and genuine. Yeah. So good. Mine would be Psalm 33, 18 and 19. But look here, the Lord's eyes watch all who honor him, all who wait for his faithful love to deliver their lives from death and keep them alive during the famine. Mm-hmm. Mic drop. I'm going to do one more. Yeah. 1 Peter 1, 13. Therefore, once you have your minds ready for action and you are thinking clearly, place your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that you found encouragement through what we've shared. We would be so honored if you would make sure that you're following us 
You should also find us on Instagram and Facebook. You can find us at at the Real King Podcast. That's at T H E Real King Podcast. And don't forget, we put out new episodes every Monday. See you next time. Oh, 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 o